A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. All year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. We continue on this Tuesday. I certainly do appreciate day part two coming along. Every Tuesday, bottom of hour one, we get day part two for two segments. Dave lends us his expertise, and when he says, I'm in the weeds on this one, that means he's getting a check from somebody. It means he's getting paid. And so he has various clients throughout college football and several of them and has a couple in the NFL even. So, and specifically with the NFL, it's quarterbacks as well. Uh, And he's kind of cracked that code when it comes to what is the predictive thread in a college quarterback and his career and abilities and numbers and everything that make a college quarterback more likely, that's all it is, more likely than not uh, to succeed or more likely than another guy. So I appreciate Dave coming on. Like I said, we do that every Tuesday, and it's awesome. Coming up about 15 minutes, be talking about Tennessee from VolQuest.com. It's a rival thing from VolQuest. Austin Price will be here, and something I brought up yesterday was Lance Hurd. Big giant freshman offensive lineman went to LSU. Uh, Lance Hurd was at, when you're a five star offensive lineman, and there are some folks who look at you and go, mm, "He may start. He'll definitely play in the SEC for a program like LSU. Like it's the add-ons that make it. Oh, and I get nuts and whipped cream." Woo, and caramel. Fantastic. The best banana split ever. Add on, add on, add on. He can play and maybe start in the SEC at LSU. Really, huh? And he started the Army game. We were talking about him yesterday with Cooper Patagnan. He said he had two starts. I knew he started the Army game, which was kind of projected to be what the Army game turned. It was like 63 to 7 or something, I think. So he had a couple of starts, but he played in all 12 regular season games. And he played in some blowouts. He played on special teams, no matter what it was. And so now he's deciding to hit the portal. And if you were a five-star true freshman, offensive lineman, and you played at LSU, no disrespect, we know what it is. Not Vanderbilt. Not Auburn, who's been looking around going, offensive lineman, please come home. No, at LSU, who they already had offensive linemen and a bunch of them. Well, the only way you get that guy is break him off or else dad and granddad and great-granddad all wore the, wore the purple and gold. Like, there either has to be the really far outlier. His full name is Lance Hurd Baton Rouge. Uh, or he got paid. Well, now he's in line to really, really be the starter. And if he's leaving, and again, I don't know, I don't 
even care to see this. I'm just using him as an example because he's the latest guy who is in the headlines. In the news cycle, it will filter down. But I had mentioned a couple of weeks back and then a couple of months back, and then I even speculated. Back, and Jake Spavital did a version of this, but now it's even beyond that. Um, when the transfer portal became like a real thing, but pre name image likeness, cause there was about a two season or one and a half year head start. Like before we realized how this thing was going to explode before name image likeness, there was player movement and remember, all right, up to four games and you can red shirt. Well, that was meant to help a coach and a, and a program and the player get a little experience, and then all three are a little further ahead come next spring. Well, suddenly players are using it to their advantage of, no, 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 I'm going to play four games for you. Then I'm going to transfer out. I got better on your dime. Preserve my eligibility, and now I'm at Colorado State. Then name image likeness happened. And so the idea of getting a kid and growing him up through your program that started to get a little more sketchy when you saw kids strategizing. The idea of getting a four-year class and redshirting everyone and then having a bunch of old men play for a conference championship like Jim Grobe did at Wake Forest, that was getting more remote. And then Jake Spavital tried something, not because of name, image, likeness, and he was at Texas State as the head coach at the time. This is probably, I bet you this is five, six years ago now. If you're not aware, about five, six years ago, Jake Spavital, after the portal and transfers all became a thing, like a big thing, he was like, all right, I'm going to try something because I'm at Texas State and you know got nothing to risk. He brought in a recruiting class that was all transfers. He says, I'm going to bring in, got literally, there, there was like one high school kid that had like delayed enrollment or something. I'm trying to remember. But every, like the other 22, every one of them was a transfer. He's like, I'm bringing in kids that can't transfer again without sitting out. That was before you were even spending money. You were just spending scholarships. And I... I had talked about, like, every a lot of people thought about it. Spavital, because he's at Texas State, he's like, I'll try it. It made sense. It makes even more sense now to be, you know, quote, I'm done with high school freshmen, uh, uh, high school seniors. I'm done when it comes to recruiting. I am done with high school seniors. I am done trying to build a class of college freshmen to play some, to redshirt some, to pacify all of them. I'm done with that. Lance Hurd, and by the way, this kid is no in no way evil or uh, he's doing a deal for himself, I assume. Like I said, I don't need to see his W-2. I don't care to. Or 1099, whatever it is. He's making his deal. Um, Caden Proctor, he's going home. He's from Iowa. I assume he's also getting paid. Five-star true freshman offensive lineman who did start at Alabama and made first-team all-conference freshman team. And then he transfers. Yes, he's from the state. Yes, he also has income now via name, image, likeness. Like, probably a lot of it, I'm guessing. And all of that is fine. 
But all of that is also why, except for whatever the targeted exceptions are in any individual situation, and there will always be some exceptions, but by and large, you know what I'm not doing anymore? I talked about this with Keon Coleman about a month ago for some reason. I brought him up. I was like, that's the kid that I'm paying for now. I'm not paying for a... Why would you pay money for a high school senior to then come in and be an 18-year-old running around the ACC? No matter how talented he looks like he's going to be, Fred Rouse. Or Peter Warwick. I don't know. Why would you pay for that versus looking at Keon Coleman and go, yeah, I'm in. Or Jermaine Burton are going, not in. Why? I've said specifically, let's just talk quarterbacks. And by the way, I'm talking almost everybody. If you're a three-star quarterback coming out of high school, I don't want you. If I'm Georgia, I'm getting a five-star quarterback. If I'm Bama, like, they're exempt from this. Georgia and Ohio, that's not real. They just get the elite of the elite who may be ready to play. I'm talking about a team like Kentucky. What's Kentucky doing bringing in a three-star true freshman quarterback? Like, what for real? Like, they're going to keep him for two years, and then the third year, they're going to pay him and then pay him some more with no agreement in place even possible for him to sign. I will stay, I promise. It's absurd. So if I'm at the Kentucky level, do you know what I'm doing? I'm looking at the all-conference Sunbelt quarterback and saying, hey, sorry, team. I'm taking your quarterback, Georgia Southern. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking your first-team all-conference who has one season left and wants a chance at the big stage. I'm taking your quarterback because we're Kentucky and we got money and you're Georgia Southern and you don't. If I'm Georgia Southern, do you know what I'm doing? I'm taking the former five-star at Kentucky or Alabama or Tennessee or somewhere else who washed out, and I'm saying, come on to Statesboro. The Nats are not so much fun, but you can start and throw the heck out of the ball and turn yourself into an NFL player. Where So I just gave you, like, again, Georgia, Clemson, they're diff- they don't count. That's not real recruiting. That's different. I just gave you Kentucky upper-ish end SEC team. I gave you Georgia Southern. Where in either of those, in anywhere on the range in between, do you see a three-star high school quarterback making a lot of sense? They don't. So all of this has changed. And like when you see a headline, Hurd's on his way to Rocky Top. This is a very, very far advanced version <laughs> of what Spavital and Texas State and you have to have an angle now. And it's not just here's the diploma and here's whatever. The idea you have to have an angle with your recruiting. The angle used to be if you took some JUCO kids or some transfers, well obviously they were problem kids and you're an outlaw program Kansas State. Now you have to have a strategy. Oh I'll say it, you have to have a scheme. And what's not part of it anywhere, I mean, on the spectrum of college, 130-whatever teams now, is let's bring in 25 freshmen and redshirt 22 of them, and boy, we'll be good in four years. Uh, No, those 22 kids that you redshirt, 
They'll be at 19 different programs playing for 15 different coaches. So that's the headline. We'll talk a little bit about that coming up, as a matter of fact. Uh, we got some Tennessee talk, South Carolina, bottom of the hour break. Come back next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Tuesday on Chuck Oliver Show, and we're talking college football like we do every day. Have since the beginning of the 14 season is when we cut the ribbon. Nine states and 60 sticks. It is what we do. I want to welcome on right now. Talk a little Tennessee from VolQuest.com. That's a rivals thing. Austin Price, welcome to the program, friend. How you doing? I'm doing great, Chuck. How are you? Uh, nothing but blessed. Uh, first of all, got to get the uh, required question out of the way. Uh, the reaction around Knoxville with the announcement a couple weeks ago, Saban uh, retiring. <laughs> I think for for a lot of Tennessee fans, it was like uh, when the Wicked Witch of the West got melted away. Um, you know, I, I I think for Tennessee fans, it's it, there's some jubilation there, um, just because you know Tennessee can kind of get back in the mix. Alabama's still going to be Alabama in some ways, right? They're not going to just fall off the fall off the face of the earth, but it does make things a little bit more open. You know, Tennessee's had Georgia and Alabama on the schedule. Them and Auburn have had those two teams on the schedule every year. Um, and it'll be that way this fall. Um, and that's really rough, right? If you're trying to get to Atlanta and you're playing the two teams that literally you could argue are the best two teams in college football every season, it makes it really hard to get there. So now all of a sudden it's top two teams in the league, not top two teams in the East. So, you know, if that had been the case last year, it would have been Georgia and and, and Tennessee um, you know, matching up in Atlanta. Instead, it was, you know, not. So Tennessee fans really want to get back to Atlanta, and we'll see if, uh, you know, they can get there a little more readily um, with things a little bit more evened out. Although Georgia's still the class of the league, it's not two teams, it's one. All right, let's talk about uh, more grown men than high school kids. Um, transfers and it's funny because I talk every single cycle. I say every coach you hear who still has a spot or two that they're pursuing, it's always the same thing. We're looking for another offensive lineman and maybe another corner. Um, well, Tennessee <laughs> has gotten linemen on both sides, and they've gotten corners as well as a safety. Talk about some of the big pickups, including big linemen, big offensive tackle at LSU, Lance Hurd. Yeah, Lanceford was a big gift for Tennessee. The offensive line position, um, you know, to me, it's been a little bit of a point of, you know, Tennessee's ran for over 2,500 yards three years in a row. It's the first time they've done that, you know, uh, as a program uh, in modern football. And, um, you know, it's one of those situations where, you you needed to sure up some things, especially at the tackle spot. And Lance Hurd's a big get. You'll see John Campbell shift to the right. That was Tennessee's left tackle a year ago. Lance Hurd will be the left tackle. And Lance Hurd has got you know will be here at least two years. So he, in theory, if Nico is who everybody hopes he is, right? He's here through the Nico years, and that's big for Nico, and it's big for the offense. So you know, winning at the line of scrimmage is big. They got Jackson Moy, the Stanford transfer, over the weekend as well. And uh, Tennessee's done a nice job of kind of cherry picking in the portal. You've not seen them live there. 
but they've they've went in and got key position uh you know an atlanta kid holding stays um you know he came from notre dame that's a big get for tennessee tennessee did, has been able to do some nice work uh on the defensive side as well so you know they've they don't live in the portal. They're not. It's not the Lane Kiffin model where they go and try to construct everything out of the portal. But they they kind of cherry pick things, and you know I, I think that's a good uh, good philosophy to have. All right, if we go back in the DeLorean like seven eight years, I looked at Trevor Lawrence and he's leading his team to a national championship. I'm like, you need to gain forty pounds. Um, yep. And now you look five, several years, you're like he's a grown man and he's filled out and he's like six six two twenty whatever. Um, is there a fill out for Nico? Because some kids just stay that way for a while. And it is about being lanky and athletic and speed and a whip and all that. Uh, what is it with Nico? Is he going to fill out and become big giant like Trevor Lawrence or a bigger guy? Yeah, I think he's got the frame to do it. Uh, Chuck, when you look at, you know, kind of where he was when I first saw him in November of 21, when he came to his first Tennessee game for the Vanderbilt game, where he was a year later, where he was this past year, um, it, it, it kind of has gotten, he's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. He's a little over 210 now, and it's his frame. He's just so long and lanky. Like, even when he puts on weight, he's got broad shoulders. Um, he's got big features. His dad is a big man. Big Nick, that's the reason they call him Big Nick. I mean, he is a big man. And so um, you see some of his brothers, um, older brothers, like, they are – a little bit more girthy. So I think the, the ability to put on weight is going to be there. I think when he has another full season in, in the you know, full off season in the weight room, you'll see him get bigger, faster, stronger. So I do think the capability is for him to play at 225 and, and not miss a beat. And he'll be 19 next season. And so that kind of happens. Um, so yep. that's the physical part and he's just going to grow mature. That's kind of baked into it. As far as the player and the skill set, what has been the confirmation or what are they excited about around the coach's office about him? Man, they're just excited about just his ability to improvise. Um, you know, when things do break down, he keeps his eyes up, kind of like Bryce Young. Um, you know, is the game's never too fast for him. Um, he is really cool, calm, and collected. And, uh, you know, when I think, I guess when the house is burning down around him, he doesn't panic, right? He knows how to go get all the valuables and get out of the house without, without endangering himself. I think that's the, the, the same thing here. Like he, when, when the world's collapsing around him, he doesn't panic. He makes plays, whether it be by himself with his legs or by keeping his, you know, eyes up and finding guys, you know, you know, finding a way to get open down the field. So, you know, they really love his arm talent. He can throw from multiple angles. And uh, I would just – I'm not going to say that it's going to be totally back to 2022 when Tennessee had Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman and some of those mm -hmm. players running around for Hendon Hooker. But I bet you it looks more like that than it did this past year. They had to throw a lot of things side to side this past year with Joe – I don't think you'll see them do that nearly as much. It'll, it's always going to be a part of their offense, but I don't think it'll be the offense like it was this past fall. Wrapping up our truest reporter of Tennessee from BallQuest.com. It's a rivals thing, Austin Price. Okay, so Nico, the idea is he'll be around, and he had his watch and learn, et cetera, year. Um, George McIntyre is a, at least a high four-star, maybe a five-star quarterback in-state kid is this an emotional thing um is this expected to last what is the idea with a kid with a lot of options 
choosing a program that it kind of appears locked in with Nico? Well, I mean, he, he'll be a he'll be a senior this fall. So, I mean, he's going to have you know when Nico will play yeah. this year without him, and then basically he'll be a red shirt, right? And so, um, it, it's kind of that window that you go get another high end quarterback. Tennessee in a three year cycle with went Nico Iamaliava, Jake Merklinger, and then now George McIntyre. And uh, you know, George has grown up a Tennessee fan. Um, he's I think had fifty three family members graduate with a degree from Tennessee. Like this is a kid, you know, who went through the process, could have went to Alabama, could have went to LSU, yeah. could have went to a lot of places. And, you know, Josh Heupel targeted him early, um, did a really nice job and his best relationship out of all the coaches was with Josh Heupel. And at the end of the day, when you're the offensive coach and an offensive coordinator as the head coach, um, no, no matter how much coordinators come and go, the offense doesn't change because Coach Heupel runs things. And um, I think that that really resonated with George. Uh, literally just a confirmation or denial. Six five, about 185. Talk about filling out a little bit. Uh, have you eyeballed him in person much? Yeah, George has got to put on weight. He knows that. That's that's something that, uh, you know, he knows he has to continue to do. I think part of his problem is he's always uh, – He's always playing basketball too, so <laughs> like he never kind of has that like moment where he just goes and you know drinks peanut butter milkshakes over and over again yeah. and, and and spends a lot of time in the weight room. But you know another kid with a big frame on him um, that can add the weight, and I think you know that'll be one of the you know really points of emphasis this off season is to try to put on ten to fifteen more pounds, and then that way when he arrives at Tennessee a year from now, um, he's not so far behind in in the weight department. But yeah, I mean he's every bit of six five six six and you know he's long and lanky and a growing boy so it'll be fine yep. uh austin i appreciate you coming on brother thank you thank you chuck appreciate you buddy all right austin pricing in ballquest.com and there is uh, popeyes ihop i mean there's all kinds of there's uh, options you can put on 15 my goodness um cracker barrel we live in a fantastic part of the country. So appreciate Austin coming on and continuing to keep quarterbacks in that Tennessee pipeline. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show. We're talking college football because that's what we do year-round. Have been since the beginning of the 14th season. Nine states and 60 sticks every day, bringing you a couple hours to talk. We appreciate y'all coming on. So South Carolina, they're very active in the portal, like everyone seems to be. Kirby, 
I think it was two years ago. He's walking off the field from a game and somebody, hey, Kirby, a great teamwork and leadership. And y'all came through today. And he's like, I want to point out we can take one kid from the portal. Ah. It's like wrestling music. And he dropped a mic. Um, <laughs> that was an outlier. And Kirby decided, like, he does everything. He's like, and I'm going to make that an angle. Uh, it just kind of happened to turn out that way. So. South Carolina's active, and boy, do they need to include and bring them back somebody that I think was kind of already one of their own. Want to welcome on right now I'm 1075 The Game in Columbia's Jay Phillips. Jay, how you doing today? I'm well, Mr. Oliver, and now all I got is like, you know, John Cena music in my head, so thanks for that. <laughs> um, there's kids coming and going. There's also coaches coming and going. We'll get to the transfer portal in a second. Pete Limbo, uh, he's thought of as really really good when it comes to the special teams thing and now he's uh the head man at buffalo so what is the idea for shane uh to do with the opening and has he already filled it has he already moved on that i know he has replaced the running backs coach and done a couple other things too uh no replacement for pete yet and this is a bigger loss chuck in my opinion and a lot of people's opinion than just the special teams coordinator pete was also associate head coach as everybody knows, Shane had not ever been a head coach, despite tons of great experiences and assistant all across the SEC and with his dad up in Blacksburg. And Pete brought that level of, of, of head coaching responsibility in and, and sort of, uh, you know, a mentor. I, I think that's that's the, the, the best way to put it, a real mentor for Shane and, and a guy who's been very popular in the community, good with the kids, opened up some new recruiting areas in the Northeast and Midwest. So, uh, I think this is, you know, I'm going to sit here and tell you it's a loss. Now, it, it, you know, you can replace people. And, and I, I do understand from talking with people in the program here recently that Shane would like to, you know, go as like for like as he can in somebody, you know, in getting somebody in, whether that's bringing somebody in, Chuck, who's going to be associate head coach again, or whether one of his coordinators gets promoted to that, whether he has that title, whether that title matters. But certainly we know special teams matters to Shane. So uh, it's going to be somebody, I believe, that, that is really, really good at that. Um, and I guess if push came to shove, you might believe that Shane could do it himself. But from what I understand, that is not his preference. All right. Um, one kid in particular, and I'm just asking for the details. Everybody's case is different, and sometimes it's just unique. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Um, Gilbert Edmond is a kid that right. during COVID, I mean, all kinds of things happened, and kids, you know, signed with programs and showed up on campus, and it was just weirdness going on. But he goes to South Carolina in 2020, portals out to FSU, and now is back. Um Tell me the whole story there, because I'm kind of interested. He stands out versus somebody who just transfers in from Mississippi State. You know, and I think Shane addressed this on Friday and, ha you know, had sort of a, a welcome aboard press conference for a couple of new assistants, but he had not spoken since December signing day. So he got some some transfer updates for everybody. And, and then he, you know, kind of jokingly apologized for going about eight minutes on the Gilbert Edmund question. It's interesting. There's no doubt. I, I've seen, you know, the negative has been this is like bringing your ex-girlfriend back because you, you can't find anybody else. I, I, listen, as I understand it, South Carolina did not go out sort of re-recruiting Gilbert Edmund. Um, now, you can believe what you want to believe, but the way, the way Shane described it on Friday and the other information I've gotten since is that Gilbert reached out. Um, you know, he, he played at FSU. He played more at South Carolina the year prior. Um, did he get anything from 
the FSU staff that would lead him to believe his playing time was going to be diminished. You know, that I don't know at this point. We may learn that. Um, but Shane said, listen, this is not something where I, I really wanted to do this at first. I think there was, you know, some, if I read between the lines from what Shane said on Friday afternoon, a little, little anger when, when Gilbert left. But that Gilbert called him. They sat down. They had a nice conversation about Gilbert just maybe being happier in Columbia than he was in Tallahassee. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll take them both at their word for now, but I, I don't disagree that it's it's interesting. Um, and Shane made a point, too, Chuck, of saying Gilbert's going to start from scratch. You know, um, he's got a new position coach here since he left. Uh, he's going to have to rework his NIL deals. There was no NIL talk about him leaving Tallahassee for Columbia again. So that's going to be starting over. So uh, Gilbert was good with all that. It, it really seemed to me, you know, if you put it in a nutshell, that Gilbert was just not happy in Tallahassee and, and did enjoy his time in Columbia. All right, so what is the idea? Um, you can get your leading rusher from anywhere, whether he's a five-star stud recruit or he's from Newberry College. Um, so an SEC caliber player can be from anywhere. What is it going to be the idea at running back? Because it appears they got a running back now from South Carolina State coming in, and their leading rusher from last year is now on his way to Memphis. So um, unfold that depth chart potentially ahead of spring. Yeah, this one, I, I, I think this is interesting because let me let me take you back to when they lost Marshawn Lloyd to Southern California, and, and at the time, certainly we did not believe, and I would still maybe argue that they did not replace him in a like-for-like like situation. Listen, Mario Anderson had a really nice season, being a D2 All-American and then coming to Columbia. Uh, you know, why he left is interesting, but in this case, I personally believe that South Carolina has – upgraded the running back room uh, much better this year than they did last year. You're, you mentioned Jawan uh, Howell from South Carolina State, a uh, really good MEAC player. Let's see what he does. Everybody knows who Rocket Sanders is from a good year at Arkansas yep. a couple of seasons ago. Uh, Oscar Attaway, a kid from North Texas they like. So uh, they, they've got a really full running backs room, and Markwell uh, Blackwell just got hired from A&M to coach those guys. So it's going to be a completely different look. But Howell, I think, has a path because of what Anderson had. And let's face it, MEAC football is a step up from D2 football. And if Sanders can return to anything close to what he was at Arkansas a couple of years ago, that's a huge coup for oh, South yeah. Carolina. And, again, I like the Attaway kids film. I, I, I Honestly, Chuck, I don't watch a lot of North Texas football, but from what I've seen, kids got potential to go, you know, step it up here in the SEC. Yeah, and Rocket, it's a health thing. Like, the variable is if the knee works, if the hamstring works, if the ankle works, well, he's a stud. Um, that's just what it is. I do want to ask you one thing because – um, I have been told, and this was all through last year when I would say something about, my gosh, even in a loss, Spence Rattler, he's so tough, he played so well, even in a loss. I would have a refrain of, I promise you, they really, really like the next guy. Um, if Lenora Sellers is as perceived, how does Robbie Ashford fit in? What's the role there? And you can say center field or, like, because is he playing baseball as well? And I'm being serious because he's a stud athlete a couple of different sports, but specifically at quarterback at South Carolina, they already thought they had the next guy, didn't they? Yes, and I, think, I believe they still do. Had that conversation again last week once Ashford came in. Shane has been very upfront. In fact, he was on my show about a month ago, right before Christmas, um, saying the same things that you just kind of did uh, about Lenora Sellers. They like Lenora Sellers a lot, 
but 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 Shane was not shy about the want and need for a higher caliber quarterback to come in to certainly compete. Um, I think you always want that as a coach, and we all know that. But also, and he didn't say this, these are my words now, uh, a high-level insurance policy because Lenoris is going to run. Running quarterbacks can get hurt. You know, Ashford can run, and so he's going to fit sort of the mold of the offense um, in a relative sense. You know, Rattler could, could escape. I would not say that they were ever going you know, to use Spencer in a run-first situation very often. Um, with Lenoris and with Robbie, I think they will be able to do that a little bit more often, but you're not wrong, man. Uh, they like Lenora Sellers here a lot, and publicly and privately, I- I'm hearing those things. So I-, I think these quarterbacks that they brought in um, understand not that there's a full. I mean, listen, the job is not his the way it was Rattler's, Chuck. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Rattler was told you're the number one. Um, there will be competition this spring and summer to make certain that Lenora Sellers can can lock it down. Wrapping up, Jay Phillips, 107.5 The Game, Columbia. I do not mean to get philosophical here, but um, tell me, like, get into the gray matter of just in general South Carolina fan here because where does he or she feel they fit in this SEC world? Because you're looking around and you never really got your own consistent footing, and now it's an OU and Texas are joining and you have to play one of them every year. Mm-hmm. Um it didn't just get easier for them. So where is their place in this SEC world? Because, you know, it's it's been kind of slippery. It has. And, you know, with the obvious exception of about a decade ago under Coach Spurrier, it, it's, it's been a real grind. And even then it was. Um, you know, it, here, here's what we talk about a lot around here. Like, for instance, let's take let's take last month's just, just the high school numbers, not the transfer portal numbers, just the high school recruiting rankings. South Carolina was 19th in the country. That was 10th in the Southeastern Conference. I, I, so if I, can, if I can boil it down, that, that's sort of where Carolina fans, I think, by and large, understand that they are with this hope that a, a, a couple of nice wins and the way Shane recruits could get them, you know, to maybe top 15 nationally, 6th or 7th in the conference, turn that into some wins. You know, they couldn't capitalize on what Steve did, and that's that's the hard part, you know. Um, I, I think there's still some regret about how south it went and how quickly it went south, and then Will just couldn't sustain it either. Now can Shane. I think there's an understanding here that, that you're you're in the middle of the pack and that you hope – I've used sort of an Iowa kind of, kind of thing, and I know Iowa's a much better program, so don't get me wrong here. But every you know every so often Iowa goes out like this year and wins ten games and and and, and gets to something big. I, I think South Carolina needs to shoot for something like that before they want to be you know Georgia or Alabama. What is the honest view of the program cross state and Clemson? What is the honest like of that rivalry right now? Because it was I mean a cinder block on the scale for a while and everybody knew it. We're going undefeated fifteen and zero and you're changing coaches. Um, what is the view from the South Carolina side of this rivalry now? Well, you know, you, you went in Clemson in 22. You didn't let Clemson score an offensive touchdown in 23 here in Columbia. And I think there's a belief that maybe that gap is closing, but because Clemson may be regressing, not so much perhaps that South Carolina is gaining on them. Now, that might be semantics, but – you know, no. you certainly got to look at Clemson losing four football games and maybe just didn't have the same. So is there an opportunity? Listen, you know how it is, man. You, you, you got to beat them. 
You know, and then you got to go beat them again. If you want to really close the gap, losing closely doesn't do it. So uh, there's still a, a, a clear understanding that I look. I think I think Clemson's going to be fine. I, I think last year might be more of a blip. Um, let's see if Dabo massages his way of doing things to. To, to bring some new ideas in, I, I think he will. I think somebody above him will tell him he needs to. And if not, well, you know, then then, then we'll see. But I, I think Clemson's going to be fine. And for now, at least, I'm under the belief that 2023 was uh, was more of an anomaly than, than a sign of things to come. Jay, appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, Chuck. See y'all. Gamecocks, flagship, yonder in Columbia, 107.5 the game. Jay Phillips from there. He referenced the, the sweet spot, the salad days. For South Carolina, if you've been in the stadium, I've referenced this before, um, you know, you've got some built-in areas that you just kind of decorate, and you put, like, the retired numbers on the ring. And then on the scoreboard, you start arranging your national championships, like down on the end zone, because everybody can see that. If you're sitting underneath the 12 for Joe Namath, then you're like, oh, okay, I can't see it. But everybody needs to see the end of the – so you can see that. So that's where you put the national championships, or in Columbia, you put the 1969 ACC championship in the one corner. Um, and that was a big deal, and God bless South Carolina that year, but it it was an ACC championship that I think you went 7-4 and four in. Uh, 1980, in another corner of the stadium where you put the other national championship banner, you actually write George Rogers, Heisman, 1980. I think that was a four-loss team as well in 1980, I think. Um, And so, but that's where you are at South Carolina, and he referenced it. He said, you know, other than Spurrier, that is these, and the reason I bring up these other two is not to crap on South Carolina at all. I'm saying that even the two things that South Carolina puts in the corner of the stadium instead of national championship banners that put an ACC thing from like 50-something years ago that they might have tied Virginia that year. I don't, gosh, I don't mean to downgrade. And then they put the Heisman winner, which they should, in a season where they lost four games, including the bowl, by like five touchdowns. So... Against that backdrop, the sweet spot, the salad days, the high cotton for South Carolina football, he referenced at Spurrier. They beat Clemson five straight years, and it was all Dabo. So that was it, man. Other than that, there has never been, a in modern days, a consistent era, a window of they're duking it out every year and we're on equal no you're not get there now okay maybe so it's tangible in state because do you know this is how i was just mentioning you go 15 and 0 with a true freshman quarterback mm, things are pretty good it is now more attainable to get the upper hand on clemson than it is the sec the division which doesn't exist anymore or certainly the conference as a whole it just became more attainable to keep your job and satisfy the fan base by beating Clemson on a yearly basis than winning, whatever that means, in the SEC. Just got way harder to win in the SEC for South Carolina. Just got easier to beat Clemson. Didn't do it. Got easier. So... That's where the South Carolina program sits. We are going to take a quick break. Oh, my gosh. We got to wrap up next. 
the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Maybe it was a year ago when Ryan Day said publicly how much money that Ohio State needed to spend on a roster and NIL. I think it was like $13 million. They've gotten three number one players at their position in the portal this cycle. Number one quarterback, Julian Sayan. Number one running back, Quinshawn Judkins. Number one safety, Caleb Downs. Ross Dallinger. He covers college football and does a good job. Ross Dallinger, Yahoo, and he's talking about Ohio State's response to Michigan winning a national championship. That was their response to Michigan winning a national championship to a, and I'm going to take the bowl game out, but the, a one-loss season, they lost one game. I said yesterday, they're one play from the playoffs, and that's their response. The bowl game, when I say I throw the bowl game out, um, when I was real little, the major league owners for a couple of weeks locked out the major league players from spring training. Well, this guy named Ted Turner had just purchased the Braves and he also had a network and he was like, no, I need some games on. Well, minor league players aren't part of the players association. So he and Bill Veck with the White Sox got all their minor league players together and started playing spring training games every day and putting them on TV. Well, I turn on the TV to watch the Braves and the White Sox, and my dad said, those aren't the real players. And I was like, I didn't know. I was like, what? He's like, those aren't the real players. You'll see the real players, like, during the actual games. That's kind of what the bowl – that's bowl games now. There is a connection to the parent club, but who they're rolling out in these bowl games now? Like Ohio State, when I say they had a one-loss season, and then there was the bowl game where they did have guys running around and it was a connection to the actual parent team. But as my dad told me in 1976, when I'm watching the White Sox and the Braves, and he's like, those aren't the real players. They're kind of connected to them, but they're not the real players. That's a bowl game now. So I'm still looking at Ohio State last year. and I was like, that's a reaction to one loss. It had, and, and then we lost him. You know what no Ohio State donor has done? called up angry, and then we lost to Missouri? I'm upping my donation, said no one. Heath, how are you? I'm good, Chuck. A couple of quick things here. One, uh, there is a report from Aaron Wilson, who covers the NFL, that uh, Harbaugh and the Chargers are are getting pretty close to getting this done. That's obviously been the the spotlight location for him for a while, just a question of whether or not the Chargers would – would come off the wallet enough to get him again it's not reported as absolutely done but uh, the report indicating that they are uh, oh yeah they're considered cheap close to getting a deal done and that uh, part of it would also involve him likely bringing the michigan defensive coordinator jesse minner with him so even if they keep sharon moore as head coach which everybody i think believes would be the logical next move you'd still have meaningful things you'd need to fix on that staff if you are sharon moore so who knows what effect that would have on uh, players transferring and whatnot. Meanwhile, yesterday, Chuck, Arizona fired their AD. Dave Hickey is uh, out that. 
as AD. If you're Brent Brennan, just imagine that. A dude hires you as coach and like a week later gets fired. Uh, Hickey, according to Brett McMurphy, fired for, quote, financial and operational mismanagement resulting in an athletic department financial disaster, loss of major donors, and mishandling of former coach Jed Fish's contract. So, yeah, welcome, Brent Brennan. Good to see you. Here's your here's your spot over there. Or if you want the AD office, it's open too. So that's got to be a fun environment. Jed Fish leaving apparently was the first time anybody really examined the contract, and they saw all the either legal exposure they had or the lack of compensation. Apparently, and they were like, "Who wrote this contract? Oh, you did it, and it was under your what? You're out." That's how incompetent it was. Almost like AD malpractice. Um, so, yeah, and you're thinking, wait a minute, all the program's on the uprise. Yeah, well, not because of him. So. All right. Appreciate everybody coming. 22 hours from now, you know what we'll be doing? Talking college football. Me, David, he, you, everybody. Back then. Chuck Oliver Show. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com. 